0: This podcast is sponsored by FAT, F-A-T-T, a A range of keto on-the-go snacks, including cookies, brownies, chocolate bites, bars, fat jacks and muffins. Fat snacks are delicious, natural and always free from sweeteners, fillers and seed oils. Find fat snacks at www.livefat.com, that's L-I-V-E-F-A-T-T dot com use the code fabulously10 that's one zero to give an extra 10% off one-time purchases not valid on subscribe and save welcome to the fabulously keto podcast aimed at improving health vitality and quality of life eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And
1: I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each
0: week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being.
1: Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you'll be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey, so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen
0: to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome Dr. David to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today.
2: Well, thank you very much for asking me to talk to you today.
0: I'm very excited. I I never tire of talking about diabetes and stuff like that but before we get to that point we always ask where in the world are you?
2: So I'm in uh, down on the south coast of England I'm on the right on the border of the New Forest and uh, between between Southampton and Bournemouth um, it's a very nice part of the world.
0: Lovely yeah excellent so let's can we start by just finding out a bit more about you and how you came to find out about low-carb and keto and all those things that help with metabolic health and reversing type two.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 for a very, very long time now, I've been a consultant endocrinologist specializing in diabetes and diabetes has been, you know, pretty much the, the focus of my career for, for 30 years and, and, and more. And uh, I think it's fair to say that um, for, a lot of that time, I was a conventional doctor. I was taught to prescribe medicines. I very much believed that type two diabetes required medication. I had very little faith that um, diet could actually make a difference because it didn't seem to. Um, and um, and so that 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 that's very much very much how I practice, being based in a hospital setting. Uh, though um, most of my focus and my work was around type 1 diabetes so type 2 was was relatively smaller and we tended to see those people who had more advanced type 2 diabetes and complications and you know which is much more of a, um, a medical type approach but around probably 15 years ago now there were, there were we had a spate of new drugs coming out for type 2 diabetes and i thought this is really exciting so i made a deliberate decision to change my timetable to do a clinic which was um mainly with people with type 2 diabetes so because i thought i'd like to get a bit of the action with these new you know new new exciting medicines yeah and um so this was back in the days of um uh, byetta had first come out that was the first glp1 analog and uh, a drug called citagliptin uh, which is a, a related type of drug and i wrote loads and loads of prescriptions uh for for those medications and some people did really well some people didn't seem to make any difference at all but about a year later, some of those who'd done really well were coming back, and they were sort of back at square one. And I, I sort of began to question myself, well, what's wrong with these drugs? Why aren't they working? And I found myself, and I honestly don't know what led me to do it, but except I remember having this disenchantment uh, with, with medication and the medical approach, and I started asking people what they actually ate. And I shouldn't have been surprised because I'd never done that before in my career. I thought that wasn't my job. My job was to prescribe was to do an assessment and prescribe medications because diet didn't really make any difference. And I was I was frankly quite shocked that, um, you know, people with type two diabetes, a condition which by definition is of carbohydrate intolerance, were eating lots of starchy foods, quite often sweet foods as well. And it wasn't really any shouldn't have been any surprise, because at the time, the recommended diet for people with type two diabetes was to have starch with every meal.
1: Yeah.
2: And the idea of a diabetic diet had gone out several, you know, a long time before. And it was just eat, you know, healthy eating, which doesn't really mean it means, you know, one person's healthy eating is another person's um, very unhealthy diet. But it meant people could eat what they like if they believed it was healthy. So. And then I started saying to people, "Well, look, you know, normally in this situation, if your sugar levels are high, I'd suggest we need to give you a different medication. But we might be able to avoid it if you're able to make changes to what you eat,
0: mm.
2: specifically by, you know, cutting out sugar and cutting down on starchy carbs." And I didn't have diet sheets. I didn't have any 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 um, <clears throat> formulae to use or calculations. I just sent them off, and I was astounded because people would come back they'd lose weight i had people come off insulin um and this was unheard of because at that time it was felt that if you had type 2 diabetes you know it's an inevitably um uh, inexorably progressive condition and if you start insulin you don't come off insulin yeah but people were losing weight they were coming off insulin And I thought, well, there's something here. There's something very, very powerful here.
0: So did you come to that realisation yourself just by questioning people or had you been searching around and found?
2: No, it was purely, I think it was a disenchantment, I I thought, because these drugs have come with a huge amount of hype, as they always do, these drugs. And I remember feeling very um, disenchanted, disheartened, let down and thought, well, Sod it, you know, let's try a different way. And um, it was about the same time. Um, uh, uh, this was a little bit before, but quite soon after I was doing this, Roy Taylor published his work from Newcastle showing that type 2 diabetes could be reversed. Yeah. And I very quickly in my mind put the two together and felt, well, you know, if that's the case and surely what i'm seeing by just get, uh, suggesting people reduce the carbohydrates in their diet and if people are coming off insulin and they're losing weight and they're reducing medications and their sugar levels are improving that must mean something of that of that diabetes disease process is being reversed
0: yeah amazing fabulous i love
2: and and that that really led to me led me to be thinking well low carb really you know we need to be looking at this as a means of reversing type 2 diabetes yeah that's how the journey started
0: fabulous i love it and and really it is just looking at what is the root cause what is yeah. the underlying um phenomena that's happening that's making the blood sugar go up and let's do let's take it away move it whatever it is reduce it
2: well uh, absolutely and at the time you see we. um we so by then we were beginning to see the big rise in obesity and, and 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 weight gain in the population and type 2 diabetes was was very closely becoming linked with with obesity but if we go back 25 25 years or so um there wasn't that link you know we didn't we hadn't started this big explosion of obesity and we didn't really know what caused type two diabetes. And I remember saying to people who are newly diagnosed, well, it's nothing to do with what you've eaten. You know, it's in your genes, it's just happened. It's a bit bizarre because we then say, well, look, if we change what you eat, then we might be able to help you control it. Um, But yeah, I think nowadays it's absolutely clear and the work of Roy Roy Taylor has, uh, has shown it, all the studies using a low carb approach or ketogenic diet approach, pretty much shown that type 2 diabetes in the vast majority of cases results from our modern day lifestyles and it's mainly what we're eating that's causing it.
0: Yeah I remember and it was a long time ago that um, somebody we knew she had type 2 diabetes but she was told not to eat anything with sugar in um, and she had to watch what she was eating and there was no desserts no sweets no cakes all these things, so they were sort of managing it with diet at that time, uh, and I can't. Maybe it was thirty years ago, forty years ago, something.
2: Well, you're absolutely right, and if you go, I, <clears throat> if you go back to the sort of nineteen eighties, certainly the seventies, diabetes was managed with a low, with carbohydrate restriction. It wasn't necessarily a very low carbohydrate diet. But I have a book that was, or I was lent a book from a a lady who used to work with Dr. R.D. Lawrence, who was a uh, physician specialized in diabetes. He set up, I think, the first diabetes clinic in the UK, in London, at King's College Hospital. And he had type 1 diabetes. And he was one of the first people to receive insulin in the 1920s. And so he was, if you like, the you know the the grandfather of diabetes care in the uk and he wrote a book in the 1960s with his recommendations for a diabetic diet and i use it in talks and i show slides of it but it is essentially no sugar and restricting carbohydrates and at that time people were absolutely told you mustn't eat anything with sugar in and you must rate you must control uh, your starchy carbohydrates and limit them and in 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 his recommendation, it was about 100 grams a day for people with type two diabetes, which by today's standards is actually a low carbohydrate diet. It's not down at the level of a ketogenic diet, um, but uh, for someone who you know the typical diet uh, carbohydrate intake is somewhere around 250 to 300 grams a day, you know, just halving that to 150 grams a day will make a massive difference massive
0: difference um so if you were looking at type 2 diabetics with this did you start to correlate with type 1s where 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 did when did that come in that you might have
2: spoken to one so diabetics? so yeah, it, w- it was later on and um we you know so i i you know i was getting experience with people with type 2 diabetes seeing how well they did with with making changes to their diets Uh, But as I said, you know, the bulk of my work was was around type one diabetes. And I had for many years um, been quite active in developing education programs for people with type one diabetes train them how to manage their condition. Um, But and our belief at that time was that um, because we had, again, quite modern, advanced insulins, as we thought then 20 years ago, um that actually if you have type 1 diabetes as it's not actually a a disease of metabolic ill health it's a hormone deficiency disease in people who are otherwise quite healthy then in fact someone with type 1 diabetes can eat whatever they like as long as they know how to give the right amount of insulin for it yep and that was the basis of of education programs that we set up and web web, uh, websites that we set up to teach people how to manage type 1 diabetes but I then, and we found that that approach led to a lot of improvements. Uh, people were getting more stable le- levels of their blood glucose. Um, they were improving overall. They were feeling much better than themselves. They were having less hypos, which is when the level goes down very low. But overall, long term, things didn't improve very much. And it was only it was sort of more latterly that I began to then begin to suggest to people with type one diabetes, well, actually. Um, you know, you might find it helps to reduce the amount of carbohydrates that you eat in in your diet. Um, And so that is basically my premise for people with type 1 diabetes. I I would still say, well, yes, in theory you can eat whatever you like, but in practice, however modern and fancy the insulins that we've got are, they can't, you know, they can't keep up and work like a normal pancreas. And it might just make your life a lot easier to have meals with less carbohydrate than the big bowls of pasta and rice and pizzas that um, are very high in high in starch.
0: Yeah. So one of the big things is for type one diabetics, they're quite often children or young teens that are um, getting the symptoms. You know, it just comes on all of a sudden and they find that they're a type one diabetic. But at that age, it's quite, especially if they're in their teenage years, it's quite hard for them to make changes and be different to all their friends and not doing what their friends do. How do you help young young adults and even youngsters deal with?
2: Okay. So I, I'm an adult physician, which means that generally um, my youngest patients are about 18 years of age. Okay. So Thankfully, I don't have to tackle, you know, the young children and the teenagers. Um, But you're absolutely right. It's a it's a it's a big challenge. And it's well recognized that people who are diagnosed as a young child with type one diabetes, because it's the parents who very much control the diet, then actually they things can go really well until that youngster begins to become more independent and then becomes more rebellious as many teenagers do and they'll very often go through a teenage phase of um, you know high you know their blood sugar levels being being really high eating whatever they wanted maybe not injecting insulin very much not checking their glucose levels although now everyone wears a sensor so that's a a different issue Um, and then again settling down again once they get to their early 20s so that's a recognized phenomenon and I think And I remember at the time um, um, I had, you know, I have two daughters, uh, they're now uh, adults, but uh, I remember during their teenage years thinking, well, you know, it's actually quite a challenge both for the teenager and their parents to get through this time. And they didn't have diabetes. Imagine what it must be like for both parties if there's diabetes in the mix as well. So I have huge sympathy. And I think we just have to acknowledge that, that is going to be a you know that is going to be an issue during that time, and um, you know I, I I say my youngest patients are are eighteen often they're still in that phase and all you can do I think you know there's no point trying to tell someone what to do because that doesn't work whatever age you are
0: yeah
2: is is just be there make suggestions and reassure them that if that I'm there to help them if they wanted advice about how to you know get 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 their their levels more stable Mm. having said that there are people um you know, there are people who are embracing a low-carbohydrate approach to type 1 diabetes, uh, both for themselves, but also parents of young children. And, you know, there's quite a lot of information coming through as to how youngsters, even during those difficult years, if they're established on a low-carbohydrate diet and they're seeing the benefits and their glucose levels are stable, they can do really, really well.
0: Yeah. So if, if there's an, somebody listening now, say um a parent of a youngster with type 1 diabetes what advice might you give them and also is it is it safe for them to explore um using a low carbohydrate diet with their child because i'm sure that they're probably going to get lots of contradictory advice and so what would your advice be
2: well this 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 is a real minefield. um yeah. I know there is concern within the paediatric diabetes community of professionals that a very low carbohydrate diet or a ketogenic diet might impair growth and development. Um, Although I'm not sure there's any concrete evidence for that. And so I am aware that a lot of people will be discouraged by their diabetes care teams from from using that approach paradoxically for over a hundred years a ketogenic diet has been a recognized treatment for childhood epilepsy so we have this sort of dichotomy where where neurologists are very uh, happy to endorse a ketogenic diet for a child with epilepsy but diabetes doctors feel that it might cause a problem um i don't I, I'm not in the position of advising patients professionally, uh, uh, parents of children, or, or the children themselves. Um, but you know, my my advice would be is that if you feel that this is an approach that you would, would help your child, there is a lot of you know, there's a lot of support available online. Um there are organizations like like Type One Grit, which is a, a Facebook community, I think largely based in the US, of 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 children and young adults and their parents who've actually produced a scientific report showing the benefit of a low carbohydrate approach. And it was actually quite a very low carb approach, I think an average of about 30 grams a day that they were they were consuming. Um I personally would say if you feel that's the right approach. Then, then, then go for it. The key things to be aware of is that obviously, if you're reducing your carbohydrates, you have to reduce your insulin.
0: Yeah.
2: And most people nowadays should be using or trained to adjust their insulin according to their carbohydrate intake. It's what's called an insulin-to-carbohydrate ratio. So, if that's appropriate um, and they're using the right ratio for them, then instead of having a meal of sixty grams. Uh, they should be able to scale down through a meal of ten grams of carbohydrate and automatically using that ratio give an appropriately low amount of insulin
0: yeah to jim-
2: um but um it can be very difficult to go and do it go it alone if your you know care provider is 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 skeptical or you know even stronger you know telling you you should you shouldn't be doing it
0: yeah. Yeah. So I've interviewed Hannah Boetis and Dr. Ian Lake, who both type one diabetics. I've even had John Furness on, but they were talking more about TLC run type one diabetes. Mm. So there are people that are managing it and find that life is so much better being able to manage it better.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I got a lot of time for, 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 for Ian and I, I know him well and of his work. And I, I have patients who are interested in using that approach adults obviously and I point them to to Ian's website and all and the resources that he's got um and I have absolutely no problem recommending a ketogenic diet to adults with type 1 diabetes um if that's what if that's if they feel that's right for them um I think that you know we do need to be aware that it's not it's not for everyone um it, People who do really, really well on a ketogenic diet do really well because that's a diet that is sustainable for them long term by definition. And um, in a sense, I can understand they think, well, why can't everyone else do this as well? And reality is life isn't quite as simple as that. And so I I'm very happy to support people on a ketogenic diet equally what i encourage people to do with type 1 diabetes is to um, and it's so much easier now that everyone has a glucose sensor so they can see immediately the effect of their meals it, and, and and often that information that's giving us uh, giving us a whole new um, dimension of information if you like about what happens when you eat your uh, certain foods what happens to your glucose levels and it's a, great, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great sort of learning tool to say to someone, look, you know, your glucose levels are nice and stable at night, but look what happens when you have breakfast and when you have lunch, you, they go right up. How about experimenting, try having a breakfast that is protein-based rather than starch. Try having a lunch that is, and just get people to start thinking differently about eating differently and finding meals that will keep their levels stable. and um i would always encourage people to find a level find an eating pattern that suits them that's sustainable for them that gets them the goals that they want and if they want perfectly flat glucose levels then they need to go on a very low carbohydrate diet um but even people without diabetes their glucose levels go up after meals you know so we can allow that it's it's just it's so individual and and i think that's the key that i would want to to just get across is that what works for one person might not be right for another but broadly speaking if you have any type of diabetes reducing your carbohydrates will make it easier for you to get get that condition under control
0: Mm. yeah thanks so david when you were on you were doing this journey you were Asking people how they were eating, you were making suggestions for them yeah. to change the amount of starch sugars that were eating. Was there a point where you thought, "I need to do this," or "I need to change what I'm eating?:
2: Yes, yeah, and um, in fact, the very first book I've just remembered this actually, um, the very first book I wrote I read, read, was a book by John Griffer. I think was a dietitian in London um, called Escape the Diet Trap. Um, I don't know when it was written. I've got it, probably got it behind me. Um, And that's when it really opened, you know, my eyes were open to, to how we've been conditioned to accept ultra processed food as just being normal. And the, the the early changes I made was was I stopped drinking orange juice. You know, we used to have orange juice by the by the gallon in the house, and we just thought, well, it's orange See? juice; it's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of your five a day, full of vitamins, and it's fruit. What what's bad about it? And reading his book, I I understood well. Actually, it's just another sugar sweetened beverage; it's highly processed. And the other thing was, I stopped eating breakfast cereals um you know I, I i was brought up eating rice krispies and cornflakes from a very young age and to me that was a normal breakfast until you realize it's just ultra processed food um and so yeah my the, my early changes were to stop drinking sugar and um if i have breakfast which i now don't always it would be you know four-fat Greek yogurt with some seeds and berries um or or a good breakfast mm. um, I do eat starchy foods I do um, but a lot lot less than I used to I might I absolutely love bread my dad was a baker and I grew up with fresh you know fresh bread in the house every single day absolutely fantastic but now you know I'll have a few slices of bread a week as opposed to sandwiches every day um, so I am not I, I don't I don't quantify my you know, I don't I don't go as far as measuring my carbohydrate intake, but some days it will be very, very low. Other days, you know, occasionally we'll have a we'll will have a curry with some rice. Occasionally other times I'll have curry and we'll have it with 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 curried vegetables instead of the rice. So um I'm 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 flexible.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but I do have weaknesses. I tell all my patients who struggle with certain foods that I absolutely love ice cream. And if there's ice cream in the house, I eat it. So I have to manage that. You know, I, I, I don't meet the definition of, of of food addiction to ice cream. I miss it by one or two points. But, yeah, I have that relationship with ice cream that I know I enjoy it. I love it. But it has to be an occasional treat rather than always available. Um, Yeah. And I but I, you know, I would occasionally have sweet biscuits in the afternoon. But, yeah, I. My, my overall carbohydrate intake is much less than it used to be. Mm,
0: yeah. And and it's about that occasional rather than all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about um, type two diabetes and mm. well, let's, let's start with pre-diabetes because yeah. quite often people will get a diagnosis of pre-diabetes and, and they will think to themselves and maybe they're even told by their doctor, I don't know, Um, that that's not diabetes but that's not quite true is it it sort of is diabetes in the making if they carry on the way they're carrying on
2: yeah that's a really good point I've not thought of that so most people who come to me with pre-diabetes are aware that if they don't do anything they're likely to develop diabetes and they're looking for some help to turn it around so they don't go down that path um I Equally, I have seen people who've come to me when they've developed type 2 diabetes, but they were told some years ago they had prediabetes and never really did anything about it. So um, I think that certainly nowadays, I mean, even within the NHS, there's a big focus on prevention, that any diagnosis of prediabetes should be associated with a discussion at least and referral to a um a a lifestyle program ideally to help reverse that because we know david unwin has shown in his cohort of people with pre-diabetes 96 were able to reverse it to normal with a low carb diet Mm. so it is eminently reversible and often might not need huge changes
0: yeah are you working in the nhs at the moment or is it just privately that
2: yeah no i i work um I work two days a week in the uh, University Hospitals Dorset, which is Bournemouth and Poole Hospitals. Um, I also have a private clinic in London, uh, and the rest of the time I write books and do project work.
0: So, how are you finding within the NHS? I mean, you just said that they they are trying to mention that lifestyle changes will make a difference. How are you? How are you finding that on the ground? Is that the same? that people are open to making changes to other doctors it, and nurses?
2: It is changing rapidly. It is changing rapidly. Um, <clears throat> so if I could think back even about four or five years ago, when I talked about a low carb diet and about reversal of type two diabetes, I was met with quite a lot of skepticism Um verging almost on hostility from from some who felt that it was unhealthy to recommend people that should restrict their carbohydrates by some who believed inherently that no foods were bad and it was just a question of, you know, moderation and we should allow people to eat what they, you know, eat anything. Um, but that is, that is changing and um you know now it is it it, it it and it's 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 very interesting that um i was told by one of my one of the nurses in the department i work that uh, that uh, you know my my they they quite like seeing my patients because they they tend to be losing weights um it, i was also it, 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 you know also um i've got a number of colleagues you know staff members who come to me because they're seeing what their patient what the patients have achieved and and um you know i've been able to support them in reversing type re- reversing pre-diabetes and losing weight um just by sharing low carb advice so um it is changing but there is still some skepticism out there and um it, what is really encouraging to me is how following from the work of people like David Unwin, but also, you know, the team at the, the Freshwell Practice who've developed this amazing app in New Forest, who've got this amazing website that that there's almost like a groundswell amongst primary care doctors who are leading the charge in this. And it's going to take my colleagues in, in who are specialists, uh, it'll take them a bit longer, but... Uh, things are changing
0: fabulous I love that at some point we've got to reach the tipping point where it it switches round the other way I'd, I'd like to think it would be in my lifetime
2: I think it, I think it will I think it's happening quite quickly um and you know I'm in discussion with you know with 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 local GPs uh at the moment because there is an interest in trying to change the way we approach in type 2 diabetes in this area um and um it, i and i think the other thing that that is so compelling is the fact that it actually saves money and the nhs is totally you know totally stretched we're spending billions of pounds on diabetes care millions of pounds or hundreds of millions of pounds probably on diabetes medications which as I've said, often don't work. And the tragedy or the scandal is that people are taking two, three, four different medications for their type two diabetes. Their glucose levels are still high because no one's actually had the conversation about what they're eating. And i that's what I was doing 10 years ago, you see, 15 years ago. So, um, uh, and there's so much wastage and yet so much could be saved if we we able to speak as one as a health community that look type two diabetes is directly related to to our lifestyle, and I have to add a caveat to so that whenever I say that, I always say that's not this isn't a blame game you know we're not in the in 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 the business of pointing to someone and saying you've got type two diabetes because you were you you ate unhealthy food and you know you're you're a glutton for for sugar and ice cream. You know, this is happening across the world, across whole societies. I do work in Africa, um, where where type two diabetes is increasing rapidly. But it, in there, it's increasing in people who who are the more wealthy, who have access to Western foods and
0: processed lifestyles, yeah, and, yeah, and ultra processed
2: um, foods. And they're not choosing to do it. It's just that we all we all eat our diet is determined by the food that's around us or the food that we, you know, the environment that we're in, it's that that's changed. Yeah. And if we can help people recognize that and recognize that actually they can make some relatively simple changes and reverse it, then, you know, and if we all, if we were all singing from that same hymn sheet, we could make a massive difference and save the NHS a huge amount of money Mm. and, save a lot of lives
0: yeah i was i heard recently that um the cost of type 2 diabetes care is something like 10 billion pounds a year in the nhs
2: probably yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all
0: even if we reduced that by a third mm-hmm. which would be doable with the yeah. right information that's a massive difference that is a massive difference that that money so that, what's that three billion pounds yeah. could be felt yeah spent elsewhere and then if you take into consideration the five billion that they spend on cancer that um that maybe wouldn't happen if people had changed their diets we don't know but the knock-on effect is so massive it's almost unthinkable because it's so massive
2: oh Absolutely, and so yes, we know that a number of cancers are related to poor metabolic health and and, and being overweight. We know that mental health and and psych- psychiatric diseases are associated, and so it goes on. You know that the, the mental ill health um, prevalent today, uh, it, it, you know, it's becoming clear through some of the great work that's being done looking at metabolic. Um, sorry, the ketogenic diets in in psychiatry, that actually these are all different facets of the same problem. Yes. And it's and and we're sleepwalking or people who are, you know, in government in positions of authority are pretty much sleepwalking us into a into a very expensive uh tunnel of ill health um that is going to cause major problems yeah well it is
0: it is yes and and we were both at the phc conference when i think it was steve bennett that said um or maybe it was campbell murdoch that said four out of five beds taken up in the nhs are with things that could be potentially preventable through diet and lifestyle changes
2: and I think you know the very exciting thing is is that we're 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 beginning to so we we're seeing it with diet with 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 type two diabetes and with pre diabetes we can know that can be reversed. We're now hearing reports of 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 um, Alzheimer's and and and, and dementia uh, improving with better metabolic health. Um, you know there there are, i mentioned the the you know and this is new to me this year The you know the benefits of of uh, or or the the, or the improvements in psychiatric disease that happen with better metabolic health um you know it's actually very exciting what you know potentially we could do if as i said we all came together to address this
0: yeah so what is maybe somebody's got type 2 back diabetes i mean i'm sure if they're listening to this podcast they're already on the journey but let's assume that somebody listening to this podcast Mm. wants to share it with someone else who's got type 2 diabetes what might be a first step that that person could take to just moving their health in the right direction
2: i think first of all the understanding that it can be reversed because the traditional message to someone diagnosed with type 2 diabetes um always was you've got this for life it's going to get worse you're going you're going to require medication and you may end up needing insulin um but we can help you make changes to try and ensure you don't go blind or get kidney failure or lose a leg
1: Mm
2: -hmm. it's a pretty demoralizing introduction to the condition and because that's what we believed Now, we've known for 10 10 years at least that it can be reversed, but people are still being told that. And so the first thing I would want anyone to say is, look, do you realise that things things that you can do can actually make a difference and can turn it around? Now, we know that if you've had had the condition for many years, the chances of achieving full remission are less than if you've just been diagnosed. But I, I, I had a patient who'd had who had type two diabetes for 30 years was on insulin and with a low carb diet, he achieved remission. He came off his his insulin. You know, it's it it's never too late to make changes. I think my oldest patient was 88 years old who who turned his health around and came off medication just by making, in his case, some relatively simple changes. Yeah. So I think the first message is one of hope to tell tell people, you know, you can do something that can that can that can what I call reverse the diabetes disease process. It might not lead to full remission, but it can get you feeling better, get your sugar levels down, get you off some medications, can get you losing weight. If that's piqued their interest, then the, then the next stage is, well, okay what are some of the some of the simple things that you can do that will help and first and foremost i would just say to someone look if you have got diabetes your body can't can't handle sugar could you just try and cut out sugar as much as you can you know you're never going to eliminate sugar completely because it's in some natural foods and some vegetables but can you just try and find alternatives to sugary foods and drinks because people are still drinking fruit juice thinking it's healthy. Yes. And, uh, you know, what, how about you just have a glass of water instead of orange juice. Um, I did some work in Bermuda a few years ago. There's one young guy really quite was in his thirties with type two diabetes. And he was getting through liters of sugary drinks a day Mm. and he was on insulin. And I although he wasn't taking it, and I more or less said, look, we could do a deal. If you're if you're happy to try and stop drinking sugar, I'm happy to say you don't need to take your insulin. And it worked. You know, his sugar levels plummeted just because he stopped drinking sugar.
0: Yeah.
2: So So stop drinking sugar and then just see if you can find alternatives to the sweet foods that you're eating. Alert people to things like breakfast cereals, you know, muesli. People think it's really healthy, uh, you know, but it's usually got a lot of dried fruit in it, which is concentrated sugar. It often has a higher sugar content than some of the kids' cereals and just, you know, point a few things, you know, don't insist someone goes onto a ketogenic diet. Don't insist they've got to stop eating starches for the rest of their life. Just start with sugar. Yeah. And, you know, then that might lead to to next stages. But I, that would be my, you know, one, give people hope, tell them that they can make a difference and two, encourage them, show them how they can perhaps um, get by without, you know, with eating less sugar.
0: Yeah. Reduce the sugar load. Excellent. Do you think type two diabetics need to incorporate fasting?
2: Um, need to. It's very, very helpful. I'm, I'm a great believer in fasting. Um, I, I mentioned I don't always eat breakfast. I think the best form of the easiest form of fasting to incorporate is by skipping breakfast and having a, a 16 hour overnight fast. And yeah, um, You know, I've seen the benefits myself and I see it in patients and I will. It's not something that I will necessarily recommend at the first conversation, although patients will often ask me about it. I had a consultation earlier today with someone who, who already started started fasting. I think it's extremely helpful. I think it helps really drive down insulin levels. And therefore, burn off that excess fat, which is part of the type two diabetes process. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a fan of it, and I encourage it. Um, I don't think it's absolutely essential, but I think that pe- as people move down that route, you know, they, they get it. They uh, people develop a very different relationship with food, where actually fasting isn't such an issue because we've got out of this, this notion that you've got to eat every few hours, which, you know, we've all been trained to do.
0: And also when you, when you're incorporating maybe some more protein and some higher fat, you actually are not that hungry. So it becomes much easier to skip a meal.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: if somebody's um, on type two, somebody's on insulin, for example, and they have to take it in the morning, but they, but that obviously incorporates what they're going to have for breakfast, but they want to fast. Would they just move their insulin later into the day?
2: No, they just, just, just skip it. So there there are two types of insulin. Um, There's a sort of long acting of background insulin, which is just to keep you ticking over and is not related to your food. So you should still take that, but, if you're taking fast acting insulin with your meals, then if you don't have a meal, just don't have the insulin mm, okay yeah. you know that 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 actually is is quite a simple proposition for people to understand
0: yeah i I mean I've got a client, and she her doctor gives her a and I don't know if this is the same in the u k so maybe it is um so she's got this chart of um if her sugars are at this level then take this amount of insulin so as she was reducing her um carb intake and becoming more ketogenic so she just went down the chart so she was adjusting it herself so over time she's reduced it by um 75 percent
2: yeah so fantastic yeah. yeah So it is key, and you know there are there are there are papers out there that uh, you know that, that provide advice to, to to health professionals about managing medication. And insulin is absolutely key. You know, insulin isn't a bar to go- going on a low carb diet or a ketogenic diet, but it is absolutely essential that the person who, who's doing that knows how to reduce their insulin as they do it. Um,
0: yeah and then they can yeah. almost self-manage and, it really yeah absolutely yeah David how did you get into writing because you've written several books how did you get into writing books what what inspired you to do that
2: a uh, really good question so I've always enjoyed writing and when I was a researcher I, I I'd love writing out papers and things like that um and as I said earlier uh you know i used to do a lot of work in developing educational programs and educational materials for people with diabetes because i you know my passion is to help people manage the condition themselves so i always had in me this notion of writing a book actually for people with type 1 diabetes because i said that's where my biggest focus was but about the time that i was going through this transformational experience with my patients with type 2 diabetes i was approached and asked about you know would I be willing to help write a book for people with type 2 diabetes? And I said, yes, I would, as long as I can make the focus about reversing diabetes and using a low-carb diet. And um, so that's how reverse your diabetes came into being. It was published in 2014. Um, it was a bit of a gamble because it was very much my thoughts and expectations with a little bit of clinical experience but i'd not done any big trials we didn't have all the information that we've got now but it was great big and i published it and um at that time there were very few books about reversing diabetes and uh it hit at the top of its its uh its uh, category within amazon uh for a while and what was really encouraging is that Within a, not very long, just a few months, I was getting people contacting me saying, "Hey, I bought your book. I've reversed my diabetes." Lovely. Uh, and you know that 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 was just so so rewarding. And you know that has led to quite a lot of the different things I've become involved in 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 since. Um, now I said I, I I originally wanted to write a book on type one diabetes, but I was told, "No, you can't because type two is the bigger problem." but once i once the publisher had seen the success of reverse your diabetes they they did um indulge me and um they supported me and i published a book called take control of type 1 diabetes which i wrote about 5 years ago which is again it embraces the low carb principles amongst a comprehensive uh, account of of type 1 di- of how to manage type 1 diabetes um it's very interesting i got slated Um, by not very many people, but there's this big thing about language and we're not meant to be talking about control of diabetes. Um, We should be talking about management. But I chose that title, Take Control of Type 1 Diabetes, very, very carefully. And it was on the back of some focus group work we'd done with people with type 1 diabetes who said, actually, what we want is we want to take control. We don't want it to control us. Yeah. So that that's why it, why that title came about. Um, that same year, I teamed up with Emma Porter, who's an amazing young lady with type one diabetes, who writes who who writes recipes basically and invents amazing low carb recipes. And we did a book together on called the Low Carb Diabetes Cookbook. And then a couple of years ago, I wrote a completely updated, revised version of Re- Reverse Your Diabetes, which is called Busting the Diabetes Myth, um, uh, which is a real, again, meant to be designed as a comprehensive guide uh, to people with type 2 diabetes and pre diabetes to turn it around, um, including some of those success stories from people who read the first book. Yeah. So that was really um, And at the end of most of the chapters in that book, we've got a first hand account. Because there's nothing like a reader reading a book and then reading the words of someone directly who was in their position a short while ago and has been able to turn it around. Yeah,
0: that's very powerful.
2: Uh, And also,
0: sorry to interrupt, um, the power is also in taking control, like you said about the the title of take. So when you when you feel even if you're not so much controlling, when you feel in control, you feel so much better so i absolutely yeah absolutely empowering people carry on
2: and then the paperback version of that book is being published in january next year um and it's been retitled to how to reverse type 2 diabetes um again because i i just like the message of reversal to be on the front cover for people to see that it together reverse and type 2 diabetes in the same sentence because too many people still don't know that's possible
0: mm, yeah yeah I, I agree with that still i think it's, most people will think it's a progressive disease that just has to be managed so we need to get the word out and we're all trying in our own way to get the word out indeed great so before we finish how can people get in contact with you find you on social media all things like that
2: I'm not a great social media being. I do use Twitter occasionally. Um, I think I'm Dr. Dave, Dr. David Cavan hashtag or whatever it's called at Dr. David Cavan on Twitter. Yep. Um, I have a website, which is the diabetes and my contact details and clinic details are there. And if anyone wants to yeah, ask me a question, there's any, there's a contact form and I'd be delighted to, uh, um, do the best I can to answer.
0: Yeah. So if they wanted, if somebody wanted to come see you privately, they could do that through the, through your website, could they?
2: Yeah. There's a link to the the, the London Diabetes Centre in Marylebone High Street, where they can book an appointment virtually or uh, or in person. Fabulous.
0: So before we let you go, we're going to ask you for your three top tips.
2: Right. Um, we've already covered one of them, and that is to really do your best to cut out sugar as best you can. And um, I would actually turn that around and say, so it's not just a negative thing, but think what are the really nice, savory things you could have in its place. So, you know, people often feel really liberated when I say to them, oh, I'd much rather you have a small piece of cheese than a a sweet biscuit, because most people love eating cheese, but cutting out sugar is essential. The next is if you have any if you have type two diabetes or even pre-diabetes, it can be really helpful to know the effect of your meals on your sugar levels. And if you're able to afford it, I'd really recommend using a Freestyle Libra, um, which is one of the continued, continuous monitoring devices, even if you're not using it all the time. But if you're wanting to make changes to get things under control, using that for a few weeks is is so, so helpful.
0: Would you, can I ask um, a question there? Would, yeah. would you say that, um, so somebody, if they're starting out, maybe start using a constant glucose monitor, then maybe, because they are expensive. So if somebody, you know, it's something like £120 a month, isn't it? So do it for two weeks and then leave it for a few weeks and then try again. How would you suggest people do
2: it? so yeah you're right the the freestyle libra is just under 100 pounds a month and what i what i say to someone is first of all if you haven't already if you go onto their website they'll send you one free of charge so that covers the first two weeks but if you can find a way that you know you can you can afford to use a freestyle libra say for two months um then that will be really, really helpful. Even just doing it for one month, it will be really, really helpful. And then you don't need to do it forever and a day. But maybe, and I have some patients who will go back maybe once every six months and using it for a two-week period just to ensure that they're they're getting everything on track still. Yeah. Um, but, but especially if you're making changes or you're finding out or you're setting out on a journey of making changes, I'd really recommend that. Thank you. And top tip number three is look, we're all human and we all have the best of intentions to make changes. But our eating habits have have, have evolved, if you like, or we've developed over decades in my case and and in most people's case. what well, by the time they get type two diabetes, so it's not going to be easy just to say, right, I'm never going to eat porridge ever again. Because you could almost inadvertently find yourself slipping back into making porridge because you've done it for the past 40 years. Um, so don't beat yourself up if you if you find yourself going back to eating things that, that, that are pushing your sugar levels up. Don't beat yourself up if you if you have a sugar binge because you have had a bad day at work or whatever. You know, we're all human, but use it as an opportunity to reflect on how well you've done up until then and perhaps have a think well okay you you use it as an opportunity Well, okay next time I come in from work and I'm feeling really awful what can you do differently that doesn't resort to eating sugar
0: yeah I think there's a lot of opportunity and and also the reflection of what actually was that it was that triggered you to 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 have that binge or to have that sweet thing that you didn't yeah. want or whatever it was that you ha- didn't want. So there's the opportunity to find out what's triggering it. And as you said, the opportunity of what what could you yes. do differently and, and not to be I, – I, I'm definitely one for not beating yourself up about things because life happens and life gets in the way and we have to just work around it. And I think with people who have been on conventional diets, and I'm not talking about type 2 diabetes now, but just diets – you think i'm going to come off for the weekend and then i'll go back to it but you never get back to it because it's so hard so yeah. it's about just just go back doesn't matter just start back again and yeah. don't give in don't throw the t- don't throw the towel in because you just keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it and every time you come back to it it gets easier to come back to it and also easier not to not to eat those things so often absolutely thank you so much for being with me today
2: thank you very much for having me
0: it would be great if you could support us through patreon go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish
1: can you recommend a guest week an interview If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join
0: our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes.
1: If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners.